Amen. What a good reminder of what is true. For those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of hanging out with Hope Church today, and I'm excited about that. And if you're new, we are so glad that you are here. I hope that you feel like family already. Um, I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. Hopefully my southern accent is not too thick so y'all can still interpret what I'm saying. And uh, it has been so good to be with you. Um, hanging out with Pastor Ben this week, listen, I am getting a glimpse of what it means to plant a church and to run really, really fast. We got off the plane and Ben was like, let's go. David's like, hey, we, come on, we're going to run, we're going to run. A brother's been a little tired, but I'm glad. I am glad to be with you. Uh, I have the privilege of being married to a wonderful woman. We have been married for 15 years. Y'all need to keep praying for her because it's, it's a lot being married to this. Also, we have three beautiful kids, a 12-year-old daughter named Ava, 11-year-old son named Jackson, and then a little firecracker of a human named Nash, who's there is never a dull moment. Y'all pray that he makes it to teenage years. But um, it has been so good. I have so enjoyed getting to experience Utah. It has been amazing. It has been amazing. We have done all kinds of things since I have been here, but one of the things that has stood out on my journey here in Utah is Ruby Snap cookies, everybody. Can we just have a moment just for Ruby Snap? If you've never experienced that, you are missing out because it will make you want to slap somebody twice. And so make sure you go experience that. It is truly amazing. And then also the mountains y'all have here. Good grief. I thought Tennessee had mountains. We have JV mountains compared to y'all's varsity mountains. Like they have been awe-inspiring. I look out my hotel window and there they are, just majestic and beautiful. And as I was looking at my window, I started thinking about this. I started thinking that even though there are storms that happen here in Utah, the mountains are no less majestic. Maybe you just can't see it as clearly. And also sometimes I think maybe with being in the presence of those mountains all the time, they might even become ordinary, which is crazy to think that something so majestic and something so amazing could become ordinary or that they would be so easily forgotten. And then it began to make me think about how sometimes in life there are storms, there are disappointments, and there are moments and seasons where death really reveals the sting. And in those moments, the temptation is to forget that Jesus is still working, that Jesus is still king, and that Jesus still cares about you right where you are. But sometimes in the midst of the storm, it is harder to see the fingerprints of the king. But over the next few moments, I hope that I am able to remind us as a people that even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of storms, and even in the midst of when death shows its sting, that Jesus is still working, Jesus is still moving, and Jesus is still at work. Because we've all dealt with disappointments. May I get an amen? We have all felt the sting of death in some way, form, or fashion. But even though those things are true, what is even more true is that Jesus is still the rock and foundation, and he is still working and moving in the midst of those things. And the beautiful thing is, He's leveraging those things for his glory and our good. Even there are times when we cannot see it. And sometimes we respond differently to those seasons. Sometimes when disappointments and we feel the pinch of death, 
Sometimes we go, God, maybe you're not who you said you are. Maybe for some of us, we ignore that pain of the disappointment and death, and we go, I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep working. And maybe for some of us, it allows our faith to become even deeper, and we can see the fingerprints of the king even more truly and vibrant. I hope that through the reading of today, we're going to be in John chapter 11. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And I would encourage you to follow along with me, either by tapping, by reading, but follow along because here's what is true. I have nothing to give to you. Everything I say to you today is built on the firm foundation of Scripture and our King. Because really, anything I have to give to you will fade away, but what is rooted in the foundation of the King will last forever. And so as we begin our journey, beginning in John chapter 11 here in just a moment, let me pray for us. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you're up to. Jesus, I pray over the next few moments as we, as a family, navigate your word, would you remind us of what is true? May we remember that even when death stings and even when disappointment reigns, you are still working and moving and you are still reigning. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we begin this conversation of resurrection, of dead things being brought to life, I pray that we will lean in, I pray that we will listen, and I pray that our walls will fall down and our hearts will be open to what you have for us. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So in John chapter 11, let me give you a little background on what's going on. Jesus is doing ministry. That's what Jesus did for three strong years. He had some friends in Bethany, and he gets word that someone, one of his friends has grown sick. And so we're going to pick up this story in John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1, and it says this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Let's pause. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, who is not far away. They go, listen, your friend Lazarus is sick. We've been walking together. We've been supporting you in ministry. We have a deep, strong relationship. We have seen you move. We know who you are. And we also know that if you come here, our brother will live. So they send word and they're saying, Jesus, we know you're working. Jesus, we know you're moving. And Jesus, we know that you are active in ministry. But I want you to know that your friend is sick. And when friends get sick, friends are there for one another. So they send word to Jesus. And Jesus is not going to respond the way that they thought he should respond. It keeps going. says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to use this and leverage this. This is not going to end the way you think, but it's also not going to be, the resolution is not going to be what you think either. He's like, I'm going to use it, but I want you to know it's not going to be the way you think it's going to happen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was Two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. 
Can we pause for a moment? You would think that if you send word to the Savior of the world, the one who can do miracles, the one who was sent on mission from his father, God, you would think that immediately when someone, one of his close friends, sends word that he is sick, you would think that Jesus would come immediately. Is that right? Can we all agree with that? But Jesus says, first of all, this is not going to be used the way you think it's going to be used. It's going to be used for my glory and your good. I promise you that. And then it says he delays. Nobody likes delays. If you're flying somewhere and you get delayed, automatically the eye rolls begin. Like, oh, my gosh, Southwest, Delta, what is wrong with you? I mean, we get bothered. And sometimes when God delays, we go, God, what are you doing? But here's something we have to understand. Delays are a part of the journey. Delays are a part of the journey. And no, we don't like them, but the Lord uses them and leverages them. And I will say this. The other day, I may have gone to Ruby Snap two times while I've been here. Don't judge me. And I was thinking to myself, what if I walked into Ruby Snap and there was a really long line? Even though I know the goodness that awaits me, I would still be bothered. Let me say that again. Even though I know the goodness that awaits me, I would still be bothered. See, life is like that sometimes. Even though we know that the God has his glory in our good in mind, sometimes with the delays of life we go, God, I don't know about this. I know you're working and I know you're moving, but God, I do not know about this. This delay I did not expect. See, we have to recognize that delays don't show disinterest but divine purpose. God is not checking out on you. God is not going to leave. God is not going to forsake you. And you might go, Nick, how do you know that? Because over the history of the world, he has never forsaken and never forgotten one of his own, ever. That's a pretty amazing track record, wouldn't you agree? And so it does not show disinterest. Delays are not disinterest. It just shows that God has a divine purpose and he's going to use it. And here's the other thing we have to remember. And I don't like this point. Let me go ahead and say it. I don't like this one. And you might not like this one either. But we have to remember that it's about God's glory and not immediate gain. Patience is key. You can go ahead and insert the eye roll. Because patience is one of the hardest things to learn. And here's the thing. The only way you grow in patience is to experience and to walk through things that require it. And that's hard. Because maybe for some of us in this place, we've been praying for something. We've been praying for that breakthrough, and that breakthrough has not come. And we're going, God, do you not hear me? Maybe for some of you, you have been hoping and praying for an opportunity to come open, and yet that has not happened. Maybe for some of you, it's illness, it's sickness, and you've been praying for healing. You've been praying for a breakthrough, and that breakthrough has not happened yet. And really, what God is reminding you of is just saying, just trust me and wait. Trust me and wait. Trust me and wait. And I love that Jesus works in the midst of the delays of life. And we see that he's going to leverage it and use it for his glory and for our good. Let's skip to verse number 17 and let's continue on in this story. On his arrival, 
Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Let's pause. I love how Scripture highlights that. They go, hey, I want you to know that the circumstances right now are bleak and dim and dark. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. He's been in there for a long time. Lazarus is not just dead. Lazarus is dead, dead, everybody. And Scripture wants you to know that this is a bleak and a hopeless situation. But yet Jesus is walking towards this situation because he's about to do something. And it's a reminder for us that even in the darkest of circumstances, we have a Savior that is still working and still moving. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. See, Lazarus was a big deal in this community. A lot of people knew about him. A lot of people knew about his relationship with Jesus. And so there are a lot of people gathered around. This little city of Bethany is buzzing because Lazarus had died, but yet Jesus is on the way. Verse number 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Let's pause right here because you could blow by this. I want you to understand something about Martha. Martha is the one that was working while her sister was seated at the feet of Jesus, and she went to Jesus and be like, hey, um, Jesus, could you tell Mary to get to work? There is plenty of things to do, but homegirl is sitting at your feet, and Jesus says, Mary's doing a good thing. And Martha's like, she's doing a good thing, lazy Mary. Get up. And so Martha, when she's approaching Jesus, I want you to understand something. This is not Martha in this posture of, I'm just going to hug and just listen to what he has to say. This is a very steady, strong pace. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like when my kids are making ruckus upstairs and like something sounds like it's broken. It's the pace my wife is walking in. Oh, we about to find out what this is. So here is Martha, and she has a very strong pace. Because how do I know that? Because Jesus doesn't even fully get into town. But Martha's out there. And Martha has some questions because this is not going the way she thought it should go. And so she's about to ask this Savior, this King, this Redeemer, what is going on? Because he was only two miles away. It goes on to say this. Lord, I love it. Lord, I just feel her tell, Lord. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Like, she's strong, and then she's like, okay, you are Jesus, so let me check my tone a little bit. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, verse 24. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She goes, Jesus, I know who you are. I know that you bring life. I know that you bring resurrection. I know that will happen in the last days. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Let's pause right there. Jesus goes, I am what you need right now. I am what is promised right now. I am the resurrection and the life, and everything is built on me. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Victory is found in the midst of disappointment because of who is there. Jesus is in the midst of this, y'all. And let me remind you right now, I don't know your story. 
I don't know your family situation. I don't know the disappointments you have walked through and experienced. But listen, Jesus is in the midst of them. And he is working and he is moving. And so we know that victory can be found in the midst of disappointment and death because Jesus is present. He is the I am, not I will be. He is, I am the life giver. I am the soul satisfier. I am the stronghold breaker right here and right now. I am. I am. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. Look, Jesus reminded her of who he was and that he's in the midst of this disappointment. And what did she do? She went and told her sister. She went and told somebody. So listen, the teacher is here. I came at him kind of strong, and he reminded me of some things, and so I just want you to know that the teacher is here. He, he, he has reminded me of some things, and so, Mary, I want to remind you of some things. I want to tell you the posture of Jesus. I want you to know that he is here in the midst of this brokenhearted situation, of this broken, death-filled situation. I want you to know that he is here. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you had come through earlier, if you had followed my timeline, then my brother would not have been dead. I don't know about you, but I've had this conversation before with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I, I, I know you are who you are. I know you are the king. I know you are the son of God. I know you are the redeemer. I know you are the resurrected and you resurrect. I know all of those things, but I really need for you to follow my time frame. But I'm being reminded often that Jesus does not operate on my time frame. And at the end of the day, I don't want him to. I don't want him to. Because I believe that he knows what he is doing. And I believe he is at work in spite of the delays, in spite of the disappointments, in spite of the sting of death. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus wept. Sometimes there's a lot of conversation about why did Jesus cry? Why did he weep? Why was he crying? And I'm going to give you a very, very deep theological truth right here. I need you to be ready for it. Are you ready? The reason that Jesus cried is because Jesus was sad. And I know you're like, oh, Nick, that's simple. Yeah. See, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So this is a picture of Jesus stewarding his emotions in an appropriate way. So Jesus is weeping. Why? Because his friend is sad. His friend has died. Those around are sad. 
And also you have to think that Jesus has been dealing with death for a long time and it was never the intent of his kingdom. And so I think at this moment, Jesus is probably fed up a little bit with death because it has impacted his people forever. And he's weeping because his friend is weeping. And also what I love too He says this thing that I love that Jesus is preparing to do something. He goes, where have you laid him? I don't know if you've ever um, experienced a fight. Y'all are like, you're not supposed to fight. Just bear with me for a moment. I remember in high school, there were two girls that were fighting. And I remember one of the girls was preparing for the beatdown. What I mean by that, she took off her earring. She took her watch off. She's like, hold my purse. She kicked her shoes off because she was about to do some work, okay? And so when Jesus says, when I hear Jesus go, hey, where have you laid him? It's like Jesus is rolling up his sleeves and is going, listen, I'm about to do something to death because I'm about to go to work. And so death is not going to reign here. Disappointment is not going to reign here because the king is in the midst. And so this is not going to end how we think it's going to end, because who is in the midst of the ring? In the midst of life's biggest disappointments and death, remember Jesus is working and weeping. May I say this to you? Jesus sees you. He has not forgotten about you. Your prayers and your words have not fallen on deaf ears of the king. He hears you. He sees you. He loves you. In the midst of life's biggest disappointments and death, it will require a measure of faith to see victory. Because right now, Mary and Martha have no idea what Jesus is about to do, but they need to be reminded of who Jesus is. They need to put on a new lens so they can see the situation differently because of who their king is. Guys, listen, faith is a difficult thing because it's stepping even before you see the next step. It's trusting even before the breakthrough has come. But it requires a measure of faith. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. See, there's always going to be criticism. So there are people in the crowd that are going, listen, like, if he is who he said he is, wouldn't he have done something before this moment? See, they had no idea how the king was going to leverage this for his glory and for their good. It's easy to critique. It's harder to believe. And so they're asking the questions. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. When it says he was deeply moved, as you do a word study, as you do some research, it's almost as if Jesus grunts a little bit like, you might go, "Why, why would he do that? Why would it be so deeply moved? Because he's about to do some work. And he steps into this moment, and he goes, huh. 
because there probably were no words to fully accurately describe what he was about to do. And so a fitting response was, ha, 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 ha. You know, the crowd was like, did he just grunt? <laughs> but have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in that moment where you don't have words? You just go, ha. It's exactly where your king was. It's exactly what the Savior is about to do. He goes, ha. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. See, as he grunts, it's almost as if Jesus is reminding the crowd that the king is in the ring, so victory is coming. Let me remind you. The king is in the ring, and so victory is coming. Verse number 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. What Martha is saying is, Jesus, this is a really dismal and disappointing and very smelly situation. Hey, Jesus, I want you to know that this is bad. Jesus, we can't cover up the smell. Jesus, it's about to get real. Jesus, you don't want to open that tomb because it's smelly and it's a mess. How many times have we said that to Jesus? Jesus, I'm too much of a mess. Jesus, if I really reveal to you who I really am and you see all the mess that I am and how smelly my life has become, then you might run away. You might flee. You might not be able to bring resurrection in this situation. And so, Jesus, I don't know. And so as we see Martha go, it is smelly, and Lazarus is dead, dead. Lazarus has been dead for a while. Jesus, we don't know if you can move in this situation. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? I want to repeat that again. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41 is about to get glorious up in here, y'all. So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus goes, Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for leveraging this for your glory to reveal who I am and to show who you are. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Growing up, I would hear my pastor growing up say it this way. The reason that Jesus is specific right now when he says Lazarus, come out, it's because if he wasn't specific, all the dead people would have got out. Because Jesus reigns over death. And so he had to be specific. Because if he didn't call Lazarus, Mary would have got up, Keisha would have got up, Bob would have got up, cousin Larry, who's been dead for 48 years, would have got up. But no, he was specific. And here's what's also beautiful about that he knows your name. Jesus is specific. He didn't just say everybody, anybody. He said, you, I know you. I've known you since before you were here. I know you. And so he says, Lazarus, specifically, come out. Also, for your situation, he knows your situation. 
He can call specifically to it. I know the illness. I know the disappointment. I know the loved one you lost. I can speak specifically to it. The dead man came out. Woo! I'm sorry, y'all. Let, let me read that again because maybe y'all didn't hear that. Because <laughs> like Lazarus was dead dead. Remember, we established the brother was dead dead, right? It's smelly. He has been in there for a minute. There is no way he should be able to come out of death and of the tomb. And then verse 44 comes along and it says, The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, disappointment and death try to put a period where the king has placed a comma. Let me say that again. Disappointment and death try to put a period where Jesus has placed a comma. See, I know that you said it's dead, dead, and I know that you said this disappointment is going to win and reign, but because the king is in the ring, I say, come out, Lazarus, and he came out. See, this victory and this resurrection was secured through the person of Jesus, and the same is true for us today in 2021. Because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of his own death, and resurrection, he reigns over death and sin. So what do we do with that truth? See, Jesus reminded them in verse 25, which we read, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what is next. Because resurrection was possible for Lazarus and Jesus overcame the grave through his resurrection. Resurrection is possible for us. What I mean by that is we all have this tendency to run towards our own thing and the Bible calls that sin. And the wages of that, the wages of that has a really high cost. But the beauty of Jesus is he goes, no. So that they can draw near to me, I'm going to go pay the debt so that they can dine at my table and be as a son or be as a daughter because I love them that much. And he goes, I will take the dead things and make them alive. I will make a people who are far and I will bring them near because I step near. See, it's not because we are so good at living this life and we make all the right decisions and we do the right thing. It is not based on that. Because we can never reach the king in our own means. But the king stepped to us. And he's not afraid of the muck and the mire. He's not afraid of the smelly situations. He's not afraid of death because he overcomes and rules and reigns over death. Because that is who he is. And here's what we see in this story that I think is truly beautiful. The only way that Jesus could interrupt the funeral of Lazarus was to start his own. Because it says later on in verse 53, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So Jesus interrupts Lazarus' funeral, but then it leads to his very own funeral where he paid a price that we could not pay to win what was lost back. That is what Jesus does. He's a resurrecting king. He takes dead things and makes them alive, and he leverages disappointments for our good 
and for his glory. And so for you, as you're reminded, or maybe you've heard for the first time who this Jesus is, there's always a response. There's always a step. See, we see with Lazarus, even though Jesus called him out of the tomb, you know what Lazarus could have done? He could have stayed in his tomb. He could have. He could have been, Jesus, I've grown comfortable in here. It's dark. It's kind of musty, but I kind of like it. He could have kept his grave clothes on. He could have kept doing what he was doing prior to this encounter with Jesus. But what does Lazarus do? He steps out of the tomb. And then he does something that we could miss. He takes the grave clothes off. Why? Because when you are alive, you don't need dead things anymore. He steps out. What does that look like for you on this day? What grave clothes do you need to take off and what step do you need to take out of the tomb? And I hope you will allow us to join you on that journey as you figure the next step out. So if you would, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for how you move and how you work. Thank you that you are still in the business of leveraging disappointment for our good and your glory. Thank you that you are still in the business of resurrecting dead things back to life. May we be a people that listen to that invitation and say yes. May we be a people that step towards you. May we Step out of the tomb of death and take off the grave clothes to live in freedom. Jesus, thank you that you took a step towards us before we did anything. Thank you that in the midst of us running from you, you still pursued us and loved us with an audacious love. And you offered us grace. You said, in spite of all you have done, I still want to dine with you. I still want to love you. And I'm going to make a way for you to sit at my table through my life and my resurrection. And you are invited. Jesus, I pray that your word will continue to convince, continue to reveal, and continue to move and work so that we can see you even more accurately. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you've called us out of death into life and freedom. May we accept that invitation. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name.